Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... I actually met my wife on CatholicSingles.com, if you can believe that. Really? And about Yes, I had never done that before. Didn't have any problems with dating. Natalie and Aaron met on CatholicSingles.com after they realized that they needed to find someone who shared their faith. Meet other faithful Catholics on the original Catholic dating site. Download our app today for free. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.com. Dot app slash breadbox. Well, hey everyone, and welcome back to the Lisa Handy and Friends show here on Breadbox Media. So delighted to be um, with you this week and covering a topic that is both challenging and vital today with our guest, Rhonda Hoffman. Rhonda is the author of a very lovely book entitled, When I'm Not Me Anymore, A Pre-Dementia Love Letter to My Daughters. It's her very first book, and she's coming to us today from Sherwood Park, Alberta, where she lives right around the corner from her beautiful daughters. Welcome to the show, Rhonda Hoffman. Thank you, Lisa. I am so excited to be here. I feel like you and I are a couple of old souls. <laughs> I'm old. I don't know. <laughs> and I have a lot of soul. So yeah, I guess that's that's a good place to be. I knew the minute that your book crossed my desk, I knew I really wanted to read it and spend some time talking with you about it. And I, I just want you to let our listeners know a little bit more about what prompted you to write this particular book. Well, my mom, we lost her a year and a half ago at the age of 93, so she had a good run. But the last years of her life, uh, she had dementia. And we as a family, there's four of us girls, three of us are here in the same city where my mom and dad are. And we were caring for her, but not recognizing what had happened. We didn't realize that dementia had sent it. Because like most people, uh, we didn't really pay much attention to it until it actually affected us. And that's when you kind of sit up and take notice. And that's when you start noticing things that, that just were off your radar before. Right. And one day I was sitting with my mom and talking to her and it just hit me that this wasn't my mom anymore. You know, she looked like my mom. She sounded like her, but Mom wasn't in there anymore. The dementia had changed her into somebody else. And in that same moment, I realized, you know, that could be me one day and my girls taking care of me and sitting here and feeling the same sadness that I felt when I had this realization. 
and I wanted to sit down and write them a love letter while I could, in full command of my faculties, be able to express myself, my desires for my care when I'm a little bit older, when I might not be able to express myself. And that just kind of, it, it took on a life of its own. And the next thing you know, I realize, hey, I'm not alone. You know, there are a lot of people, no, no, and there are a lot of people going through the same thing or about to, and I wish I'd had an instruction manual when it came to my mom's care or somebody to tell me, hey, this is what you can look for, this is what you can expect, this is the best way to respond to her. And I wanted to lay that out for my girls. And that's kind of how this all started. Well, it's a beautiful gift. And I think um, I'm really glad that what you wrote to your daughters ended up being a book. But let's just clarify that you're not, you know, this is your first work and your your job is not to be an author. So how was the mm-hmm. process of writing and, and then self-publishing the book for you? Well, in the beginning, again, it was just a letter for my girls. So I it was... Uh, cathartic and moving. I cried over every page. And then as I realized that it was growing into something more than for my girls, but, you know, for the bigger picture, it took on a different dimension. And I was, I was uh, fortunate enough to have a, an editor friend who was my cheerleader as well. And he pointed me in the right direction. And self-publishing is a very different journey and out of my wheelhouse. So I <laughs> learned a lot of lessons. Yeah, well, it's really, um, it's interesting to do it with something that's so personal as well. And in a way, Mm -hmm. it's actually really great, because it does provide you when you publish independently, the opportunity to create something that's exactly what you want it to be. And, and not only is this your letter to your daughters, but it's also um, great information. I want to, it's kind of weird to turn to the appendices, but I want to do that because um, you've provided some great resources here. And they kind of set some context because appendix one really looks at um, stats for awareness of dementia Mm -hmm. and how much is impacting us. And I know with the journey that I've been on with my mom over the last year and our listeners know just a little bit of that, that I've really been struck by not only um, the rise in the number of people who are faced with either Alzheimer's or dementia in their families, but also, you know, the concern that all of us have for our own health and well-being that life expectancies are living, you know, to be longer. And so I find myself not only concerned about, you know, caring for my parents from afar, um, being still a great mom to my kids, but also looking at my own health and how I can preserve and prepare for, you know, what will eventually happen in in my life. And so I think um, you're really to be commended for taking um, this into your hands and laying out something like this that not only expresses your feelings to your daughters, but also that, you know, kind of provides some information for them on maybe what they should do. Because I don't know about you, but when this struck us, we were completely, you know, we didn't know which way to turn. We didn't have a lot of instructions, as you said. So, right. And then um, you, in the second appendix, you provide these journaling questions. Say a little bit about those and the journaling prompts that you wrote. Well, in talking with my mom one day, I asked her a question, don't remember what it was, but I knew that the answer she gave me was a pretty good mixture of fact and fiction. And that was what was true to her in that moment. But I knew that going forward, I wouldn't be able to trust 
that the answers that she was giving me and remembering were really true to life. And I thought, I have lost all her memories because I didn't ask those questions while she was lucid. I didn't, it never even occurred to me. I mean, you grow up, you know your mom, you know your dad, you know their stories, but really, um, mom, how did you feel on your wedding day? You know, how did you feel when those doors opened? How did you feel when my oldest sister was born? You know, uh, those memories are gone. When mom lost them, we all lost them. And there were a lot of questions that I didn't even know I wanted answers to until it was too late. And so I thought, well, you know, what would my girls want to know about me? And my girls and I are very close. And we would be able to have open conversations. But do we all the time? Not on a lot of things that matter or would matter once they're gone. So the journaling prompts was more to give ideas on how you can start those conversations either with your parents now before it's too late to lose those memories or um, ask them for yourself, for your kids to pass that on to them when the day comes. Yeah, I love them so much. And I actually, I was sharing with you before we started that I've been visiting my parents quite a lot on Alexa. And mm-hmm. um, I, I spend time with them, you know, regularly that way. And it's almost like I'm in the room with them. And um, mm-hmm. I actually am going to take one of these questions each day over the next couple of weeks and work my way through them. And I, I think what I'm going to do is actually voice record their answers. <laughs> so I have them actually kind of speaking to me because I think a lot of us think, oh, well, I'm on Facebook and, I, you know, I write this all. Mm -hmm. My kids know what I'm doing, but I think you're absolutely right. Now, one thing that you address, um, you know, in in this is your own kind of aging process and, you know, what's happening as a caregiver, but what is also happening to you um, and the need for your own self-care. And you Mm -hmm. talk about in Chapter 8, mitigation is the key. Can you say a little bit more about this factor? Yes. Well, just because mom had dementia doesn't mean I'm going to get it. But with one in three seniors dying today with some form of dementia, you just can't ignore it. And so uh, there are so many things that are in God's hand that I have nothing to do with. But the ones that I can take care of, I need to. So things like um, eating properly, you can't expect high performance you know, if you're putting garbage in Mm -hmm. things like getting enough exercise, anything that's good for your heart is good for your brain. You know, challenge yourself through education. Learn a new language apparently is the big thing to do. That'll really get you going. Really? Um, That's a good one. Yeah. Learning a second language apparently is a really great way to keep on top mentally. And, you know, things like obvious, don't smoke. You're, you're, uh, Dementia developing with you is increases by 45% just by being a smoker, you know, and uh, common sense things like wearing a helmet. If you're biking, uh, skateboarding, you know, that kind of thing, it's not cool to have helmet hair, but it's also not cool to have a halo screwed into your skull because you were too cool to wear one, you know? Definitely. So there are a lot of things that we can do to mitigate it as much as we can that is within our own uh, power. 
and the rest we have to let go of. But Rhonda, one thing I know that this is, it happens with a lot of people who are hands-on caregivers, caregivers um, in everyday life. um, I look at both of my sisters. So my mom and dad were living near one sister and then they moved near another one. And um, both of them have small children and have jobs, Mm -hmm. full-time jobs. And then they're, you know, helping out while my parents are living in assisted living. And so, you know, it's easy for us to say, we'll do all these things and exercise. And yet, you know, when you're torn in so many different directions, I think we tend to make excuses, but it seems like really that for the care of those, all the people that we're caring for, we have to make this a priority, right? Oh, absolutely. And caregiving, whether it's your children or your parents, is the hardest job. It is the hardest job. It takes so much out of you. I mean, we do it out of love. Absolutely. But it's still wearing on you. And I think, you know, when we talk about getting enough exercise, you don't have to go to fitness classes. You don't have to try CrossFit, you know, doing things that nurture you um, emotionally, spiritually, even if it's tea, I'm going to get a special coffee for while I'm doing my Christmas shopping, something that's just for you. And right now, the average person turning 50 will spend longer caring for an elderly parent than they did caring for children. So if you're in that age group, you know, you've, you've had a long run and you've got a long run ahead of you. You've got to pace yourself and take care of yourself, whatever that means to you. We don't have the time to say a lot about this chapter, but one really struck me in chapter five. It's called I'm I'm like a dementia patient. I'm I'm sc- skipping all over the place with this interview. <laughs> Sorry about that, but it's just so meaningful. In chapter five, which is called Christmas in June, meet me where I am. Um, you offer these sort of like um, strategies for kind of conversing with somebody that's facing a mental challenge, and I just laughed out loud when I was reading these because I mean. Oh, my goodness, have I been through several of these with my mom? What are a few of the tactics that we can use um, in those conversations? Right. Uh, Joe Huey from the Alzheimer's Caregiver Institute penned these some time ago, and they are so relevant. Things like don't argue, agree. When our kids are small, we teach them, we correct them because they have to learn cause and effect. And they learn that by us saying, hey, you know what, this makes more sense, or this is the common sense way to look at it. And they can learn that. But when our parents get older, they lose that capacity to reason. And in doing that, what I'm saying to my mom makes perfect sense. It's common sense, like everybody knows this, but to her, it's not sensical anymore. And so my correcting her is not going to have any long-lasting effect because she's going to have the same thought in a few minutes. It's going to embarrass her. It's going to make her feel small. And nobody's winning. If I can agree with her and then try to distract her onto something else, that's probably our best way to go around it. Yeah. And, and that goes the same for shaming. You know, there's going to be a lot of opportunities. We, they go back to having childlike motor skills. And when that happens, it's really easy to get frustrated, especially as caregivers, because we are stretched a lot of the time, but not shaming them, diverting them, reassuring them instead. Um, Never say, I told you so. Just repeat it again. It's hard to give the same loving answer the third time in three minutes as you did the first time. (laughs) 
And it just becomes more and more frustrating. Um, One thing, and I'm sure it's in here someplace, but when one kind of closing thing that I wanted to say and just have you bounce off of is that um, when my mom was very, very in a dark place last year, there were Mm -hmm. many instances in my time with her where she would say things to me that were quite hurtful, um, you know, personal things that I know in her right mind, she would never, ever say. And I, I found myself praying quite a lot in those moments for the grace to remember that she loves me, um, despite the words that are coming out of her mouth and to take that as an occasion of, you know, uh, as we say in in the Catholic faith, offering it up um, for my mom. Mm-hmm. But how how did you kind of cope with those moments where you know a dementia patient would turn on you personally? Well, and that's the thing. You know, this is the person who nurtured you from the get go. And my mom, uh, my mom and dad were in the ministry for sixty years together, and she was a strong, quiet force beside my dad the whole way. And conservative and meek, you know, I mean, she was just lovely. And then as she got older, like your mom, she had these different personality, these outbursts, these things that would happen and you just kind of shake your head and could be very hurtful. And, and they still are hurtful. But I think when you come to the realization that, you know, the name of my book is When I'm Not Me Anymore. I mean, there's nothing flashy and catchy about that. It is what it is. But because dementia changes the person they are, it's not my mom saying those hurtful things to me. It's the disease that is taken over from her. And when I can remember that, uh, it makes it so much easier to just take that, let it slide off, not carry it with me. It's sad. You know, I don't I don't know that we ever get over that sadness, but the hurt that when you know that she doesn't mean it and it's not her talking made a world of difference for me and still does dealing with seniors now who who do the same thing. I see it in a very different light. Uh, it's really um, a gift of, um, you know, a different kind of grace with our parents when we get into these. I'm so grateful. I wish I had more time to spend with you. I'm sure I'm going to ask you to come on again at some point <laughs> in the future. But definitely, friends, check out this beautiful book, When I'm Not Me Anymore. Rhonda, where's the best place for people to get in touch with you and to purchase the book? Um, I do have a website coming up shortly this week. Uh, The quickest way to get my book is through Amazon.ca or Amazon.com. Great. And we will definitely Mm -hmm. have links in our show notes. Any closing thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? You know what? I just appreciate your taking the time to speak with me to get the message out because I know that our conversation today is going to touch lives and somebody's going to hear it that think, oh, my goodness, I needed to hear that. I'm not alone. It's okay. It's okay to be human and we can do this. So thank you so much for allowing me on, Lisa. I really appreciate it. Oh, what a gift, Rhonda. Thank you so much. And again, the name of this book is When I'm Not Me Anymore by Rhonda Hoffman. We'll have links to Rhonda's website as well as links for you to purchase this book um, on Amazon. Thank you, Rhonda. Thank you, Lisa. 
Well, that is it for this week's episode of Lisa Hendy and Friends. I want to let you know that you can find all of our previous episodes, information on today's guest, Rhonda Hoffman, and her beautiful book, When I'm Not Me Anymore, and my contact information, all at my website, lisahendy.com, or just follow me on social at Lisa Hendy. Until next time we're together, have an awesome day, and God bless. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by. Have you ever been put on the spot and asked to explain or defend Catholic teaching on sensitive topics such as abortion, same-sex marriage, or the Eucharist? What to Say and How to Say It is a straightforward and practical resource by Brandon Vogt, best-selling and award-winning author of Why I Am Catholic and You Should Be Too. He offers essential tools for articulating even the most contentious aspects of your Catholic faith with clarity and confidence. You can get a copy of this important new book at AveMariaPress.com. Use code TALKFAITH to get 25% off your copy today. Looking for exceptional coffee delivered fresh to your door? We have the answer. Our friends at Grim Bean Coffee produce small-batch artisan coffee using top-tier coffee beans. The coffee is roasted when you order, guaranteeing the freshest coffee possible. Check out Breadbox Roasts, a new line of Catholic-themed coffees, available at www.grimbeancoffee.com forward slash Media. Experience coffee like never before.